Danielle uh, Umstead is an alpine skier. She, um, she races down mountains at like 70, 80 miles an hour and weaves in and out of those little sticks that stick up in the, in the snow and the ground. Um, she has competed in the last three Olympics, Winter Olympics, and yet technically they're not um, the Olympics. It's the Paralympics. For you see, Danielle is blind. It's got to be scary enough to, you know, move down a mountain at 70, 80 miles an hour uh, sighted, but to be blind, that's got to be incredibly unnerving. How does she do it? Well, her husband Rob skis with her. He skis out in front. He's her guide. They have Bluetooth uh, headsets in their helmets, and when he says right, she goes right. When, she's, when he says left, she goes left, and she follows his commands. Uh, as crazy as that may seem, Rob's the the guy there in the orange, and he's out there leading. He said, my job is to be her eyes. I'm basically thinking out loud, telling her everything that is happening. And if I do my job well, give her a good description, she can be aggressive and anticipate what's coming. And of course, following Rob, Danielle's responsibility is to precisely submit to his commands. When he says right, she goes right. And when he says left, she goes left. And she listens to his voice and follows him submissively, obediently, or it could be catastrophic. She must have a lot of faith in her husband as a guide because uh, she's medaled in the 2010 and 2014 Paralympics. This time of year, Christmas time, uh, there, there are examples after examples of, of people called to ski blind. I mean, you think about the Christmas story. You've got a young virgin girl living in poverty uh, from an insignificant little hamlet up, uh, in the, the Judean area, Galilee region called Nazareth, a Roman outpost, and an angel comes to her and says, you're going to be pregnant as a virgin. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will conceive in your womb and you're going to have a baby boy and he is going to be the Messiah and he will sit on the throne of his father David. You talk about skiing blind. And what was her response? Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, be it done to me according to your word. Or think of Joseph, that same angel comes to Joseph, the man that she is engaged to. The young girl that you're engaged to, Joseph, she's pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Now, fear not, you can take her as your wife because according to Isaiah the prophet, he is the Emmanuel, the God with us. And you will call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins skiing blind, and Joseph responded, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. God said right, he went right. God said left, he went left. In, in maneuvering the course of God's divine plan for the ages, 
there was attentiveness, absolute attentiveness. The shepherds, leave your flock, go to this little town in Bethlehem, and you will see the king. Wise men following some star, going who knows where, skiing blind. But beyond that, what about the baby? God became flesh, entered a womb. He stepped from his heavenly throne, Jesus did, and entered the womb of Mary. At Christmas time, we give special attention to this doctrine of the incarnation, uh, that God set aside his divine privileges, the second person of the Trinity. And while still being fully God, yet not He relinquished his right to use his divinity. He became totally and completely human. He entered the world that he had created and became the servant of the Lord, as Isaiah had predicted. And he came and he suffered and he died. You know, and I I wonder that in the busyness of this time of year, you know, and all the shopping and the singing and the parties and the festivities and the shopping and the festivities and the shopping. <laughs> do, we, do we just pause enough, long enough, to truly, truly contemplate, to think through, to prayerfully consider what Jesus went through, what he experienced when he s- slipped from the glories of heaven into the womb of a poverty-stricken young girl? Do we appreciate that he became the servant of the Lord? Veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, pleased as men with men to dwell, Jesus, our Emmanuel, so wrote Charles Wesley. It was as if he slapped on some skis and blindly headed down the mountain in the incarnation. Now, again, this Advent season, as we're continuing our study of Isaiah, we're looking at these servant songs, the four servant songs uh, written there in Isaiah. And so, again, look at Isaiah chapter 50 with me. Isaiah 50, verse 4. Let's unpack this a little more thoroughly. The Lord God has given me the tongue of disciples, of the learned ones, that I may know how to sustain the weary with a word. And he awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to listen as a disciple. The Lord God, verse 5, has opened my ear. I was not disobedient, nor did I turn back. See, here we have a description of the servant of the Lord who is living in absolute obedience, absolute submission to the Father and his direction. He submitted his mind, his whole being, to understand the work and the will of his Father, the servant of the Lord in complete obedience. Everything the servant did, everything the servant taught and said was directed by the Father. The Lord God has given me a a tongue of disciples, a tongue of the learned, given him by the Father, The second person of the Trinity is given a tongue. He's at the mercy, as it were, skiing blindly. He's at the mercy of the Father who has given him a tongue and given this calling 
to speak forth the truth through intimate fellowship with the Father as a disciple, as a learner. The servant was able to fulfill his calling as the gifted tongue, but only as he submitted as a disciple and as a learner was his tongue gifted. 700 years later, wind it ahead, 700 years after or so after Isaiah wrote these words, into our world came Jesus Christ. It says in John chapter 12, verse 49 and 50, For I did not speak on my own initiative, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a commandment as to what to say and what to speak, and I know that his commandment is eternal life, and therefore the things I speak, I speak just as the Father has told me. Or he said in John 8, I do nothing on my own initiative, but I speak these things as the Father taught me. He did nothing but what wasn't in line with what he was being taught by the Father. Because he had set aside his divine privileges, his prerogatives as deity. He set the usefulness of his divinity aside and he became fully human and he lived it out perfectly. Obediently attentive as a learner, as a disciple. And verse 4 tells us why he did that. He said, the Lord has given me a tongue of disciples of the learned so that I may know how to sustain the weary one with a word, to sustain the weary one. It was always others that were in his focus. I'm listening to you, Father. I'm speaking what you direct me to, Father, so that I can encourage the faint-hearted. I can, I can sustain, I can help strengthen the weary ones. Wind ahead 700 years. Into our world came Jesus Christ walking the dusty roads of the Middle East. And he said in Matthew chapter 11, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. How could Jesus offer that? Rather bold, come unto me and I'll give you rest, all you who are weary. How could he say that? Because he was attentive every moment to his Father. He was a disciple par excellence. He was this consummate learner. And he listened and he spoke and he sustained the weary says in John chapter 5, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Words of life to a weary soul. Where, where did he come up with this? Upon what right does he have to tell people, I'll give you words of life. Believe, and you have passed out of judgment into life. Believe, and you will have everlasting life. He got it from the Father. 
He was trained as a disciple, as a learner. Why? Because he had, he had divested himself of all his divine privileges. He had set them aside and became fully human. And he listened to his father as the father directed him. The father said, go right, he went right. He said, go left, he went left. And he maneuvered this course of eternal salvation because he was listening to his father. How did the discipleship process take place? I mean, what did it look like? How did it happen? Well, last part of verse 4 says, He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to listen as a disciple. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not disobedient, nor did I turn back. Early in the morning, he'd meet with the Father. He'd learn the direction of his life. He grew in his understanding. Day by day, week by week, month by month, as a learner, as a disciple, the Lord God awakened him, called him, and Jesus was aroused and met and listened. In the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. Or Luke 6, 12, it was at this time that he went off to the mountain to pray, and he spent the whole night in prayer to God. Aroused by the Father, awakened in the early morning hours, he learned He soaked in the directions, the commands of his father. And so he spoke and he gave sustenance and strength and encouragement to the weary ones. It was times of communion with the father that Jesus learned the course to navigate. The second person of the Trinity laid those divine privileges aside and learned the disciple par excellence. Now, not only did the servant obediently learn how to sustain the weary, the words to say, the words of life, and say it with authority. No one spoke like this man spoke, so they said. But he also learned the course of suffering and sacrifice. Verse 6 says, I gave my back to those who strike me and my cheeks to those who pluck out my beard. I did not cover my face from humiliation and spitting. As he communed with his father, he learned progressively his assignment. Go this way, go that way, turn right, turn left. And the path that he followed was the path of suffering. It was the path of of death. Philippians chapter 2, verse 8 reminds us, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, death on a cross. Yet he never, never hesitated for a moment. The Lord opened my ear again, verse 5, and I was not disobedient. I did not turn back even when it meant 
excruciating suffering. Why? Verse 7, for the Lord God helps me. So therefore I'm not disgraced. Therefore I've set my face like flint and I know that I shall not be ashamed. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let's, Let's stand up to each other. Who has a case against me? Let him draw near to me. Behold, look, the Lord God helps me, verse 9. Who is he who condemns me? Behold, look, they will all wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them. Where do you get this confidence? The Lord will help me. The Lord will sustain me. I'll set my face like flint. Yes, suffering, that's the course I'm on. He learned obedience through the things he suffered. And he set his face like flint, and he, he went to the cross willingly, knowingly, lovingly, after communion with the Father. He did this because he was absolutely confident in the one who was giving him the instructions, the guide that was leading him, the eternal Father. Four times, by the way, in this psalm, the song, the third song of the servant, four times the title of, of God is used that's unique to this song only, of the four servant songs Only this song has God listed as the Lord God. You have an NIV translation. It'll say the Sovereign Lord four times. The other songs don't describe God that way. He is Adonai Yahweh. He is Almighty God, the Sovereign Lord. And four times, verse 4, verse 5, verse 7, verse 9, with an emphasis that this is the God who I'm following. Here is the God I can trust. He awakens me in the morning, and I listen to him, and I can fully trust the direction and the course he has set out for me. I can maneuver this path of eternal salvation because he is the Lord God, Jehovah, Yahweh, Adonai. And so he entered our messy world of sin and sorrow and pain and death, and he did it without flinching in obedient trust. Unfathomable, this whole thing called the incarnation. If we really just stop to think about it, what Jesus went through. Max Lucado, in his little book, God Came Near, writes of this, and if you'll indulge me, I want to just read this from Max Lucado. It all happened in a moment, a most remarkable moment. As moments go, that one appeared no different than any other. In fact, if you could somehow pick it off the timeline and examine it, it would look exactly like the ones that have just passed by as we've read. It came, it went, it was preceded and succeeded by others just like it. It was one of the the countless moments that have marked time since eternity became measurable. But in reality, that particular moment was like none other. For through the segment of time, a spectacular thing occurred. God became a man. While creatures of the earth walk unaware, divinity arrived. Heaven opened herself and placed her most precious one in a human womb. The omnipotent, in one instant, made himself breakable. He who had been spirit became pierceable. He who was larger than the universe 
became an embryo. And he who sustains the world with a word chose to be dependent upon the nourishment of a young Jewish girl. God as a fetus, holiness sleeping in a womb, the creator of life being created. God was given eyebrows and elbows and two kidneys and a spleen. He stretched against the walls and, and floated in the amniotic fluids of his mother. God had come near. He came not as a, a flash of light or as an unapproachable conqueror, but as one whose first cries were heard by a peasant girl and a, and a sleepy carpenter. The hands that first held him were unmanicured. They were calloused. They were dirty. No silk, no ivory, no hype, no party, no hoopla. Were it not for the shepherds, there would have been no reception. Were it not for a group of stargazers, there would have been no gifts. Angels watched as Mary changed God's diapers. The universe watched with wonder as the Almighty learned to walk. Children played in the street with Him and, and had the synagogue leaders in Nazareth known who was listening to their sermons. Jesus may have had pimples. He may have been tone deaf. Maybe perhaps a girl down the street had a crush on him or vice versa. It could be that his knees were bony. One thing's for sure, he was, while completely divinity, he was completely human. And for 33 years, he would fill everything that you and I have ever felt. He felt weak. He grew weary. He was afraid of failure. He was susceptible to willing women. He got colds and he burped and had body odor. His feelings got hurt. His feet got tired. His head ached. To think of Jesus in such a light is, well, it seems almost irreverent. It's not something we like to do. It's, it's uncomfortable to think this way about Jesus, isn't it? It's much easier to keep the humanity out of the incarnation, clean the, the manure from around the manger, wipe the sweat from his eyes, pretend he never snored or blew his nose or hit his thumb with a hammer. It's, it's easier to stomach that way. There's something about keeping him divine that keeps him distant and, and packaged and predictable. But don't do it. For heaven's sakes, don't do it. Let him be as human as he intended to be. Let him into the mire and the muck and the mess of your world. For only if we let him in can he pull us out. Listen to him. Love your neighbor. That was spoken by a man whose neighbors tried to kill him. The challenge to leave family for the gospel was issued by one who, who kissed his mother goodbye in the doorways. Pray for those who persecute you. That came from the lips that would soon be begging God to forgive his murderers. I am with you always. Words of a God who in one instant did the impossible to make all the possible for you and me. It all happened in a moment.
a most remarkable moment, the Word became flesh. Oh, there will be another. The world will see another instantaneous transformation. You see, in becoming man, God made it possible for man to see God. When Jesus went home, he left the back door open. And as a result, we shall all be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. The first moment of transformation went unnoticed by the world, but you can bet your sweet September that the second one won't. And the next time you use that phrase, just a moment, remember that's all the time it will take to change this world. Do we appreciate what Jesus Christ did for you and for me? to strap on the skis and go blind into our messy world of sin and sorrow and death. And why? Why did he do that? I mean, why not just appear as the King of kings and Lord of lords in one moment and and one wave of his hand deal with the sinfulness of mankind? Why? Why this this course down a snowy mountain of of sin and pain and sorrow. Well, the fourth servant song will tell us about that that we'll look at next week. There are two more verses here in this passage that we have to consider. You see, the incarnation gave the second person of the Trinity, the servant of the Lord, the authority, gave, gave him the right to come to us today and say, all right, follow me. Follow my lead in your life. Follow my example. Step into my footsteps. Follow me. And so we read in verse 10, who is among you that fears the Lord, that obeys the voice of his servant, that walks in darkness and has no light. Let him trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. What is it that you're going through right now, today? What's the darkness that you find yourself in? What's the pain that you're in the midst of? Oh, the darkness might be smothering. I mean, you have nowhere to turn. You you don't know what the next move is. You don't know how to get out of it. You fear the Lord. You're trying to live obediently before Him. You love Him. You want to serve Him, but you just don't know how. It just, the darkness is so overwhelming right now. You're skiing blind, as it were. It might be something to do with a relationship, a, a marriage that is so discouraging. It's numbing to you. It might be your singleness. You don't know where to turn. It might be something going on with your children or or grandchildren. It might be because you don't have children or grandchildren. Maybe it's something to do with your job, finances. It might be an intolerable boss. It might be an unfulfilled life's calling that just 
you feel flat, you wonder if, what more is there to life? Maybe it's a financial stress you're going through right now. The darkness is smothering. And the servant of the Lord is telling us in this third song that he sings, don't panic, I've been there. I've been on those skis. I've been down that mountain. I've been there. Now you trust me. You follow me. I came into your world. I took on flesh and blood. I became fully human in every sense of the word and in absolute obedience and dependency upon my Father. I became a learner, a disciple, and I followed him And I'm here to tell you, it works. He never led me astray. And so now follow me, says the servant. In your darkness, just trust me. Trust me by being a learner, by spending time with me. I'll awaken you in the morning. Let's let's spend time together. Let's, Let's pray together. Let's talk together. Let's commune. And I will never leave you astray. Don't panic. I'll bring you into the light in good time. But don't miss the warning of verse 11. Behold, all who kindle a fire, who circle who encircle yourselves with firebrands and walk in the light of your fire among the brands you have set ablaze. This you will have from my hand. You will lie down in torment. You see, our other choice is to light our own fire, figure out our own way out, maneuver the, the course with our own ingenuity and skills and determination, grit and self-will. But beware. We will crash and burn. We will lie down in torment. Because, folks, this life, living in darkness, is only meant to be maneuvered as we follow the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Don't light your own fire. Trust in Him. And God allows that encroachment of darkness so that we will learn to do just that. So that we will learn that the only one to trust, the only one who is trustworthy is the Lord Himself. He's been there. And when we trust Him, we'll find that He never ever makes a wrong turn, leads us astray. In her poem entitled God Knows, I think Minnie Louise Haskins has summed it up very well. And I said to the man who stood at the gate of the year, give me a light that I may tread safely into the unknown. And he replied, go out into the darkness and put your hand into the hand of God. That shall be to you better than light and safer than a known way. 
And so I went forth, and finding the hand of God, trod gladly into the night. And he led me towards the hills and the breaking day in the lone east. And 2,000 years ago, the second person of the Trinity entered the darkness, putting his hand in the hand of his Father. And he set an example for us to follow. That in our darkness, in our pain, in the mess of this world, the one who holds our hand never, never, never leads us astray. Do we believe it? Will we follow him? Will we commune with him? Will we submit obediently to him? When he says right, we go right. And when he says left, we go left. And we hold his hand. And soon we walk into the light. Let's pray. So Father, amazing love. How can it be that God would become a man that you, Lord Jesus, would suffer in the agony of humanity far more than we could ever imagine as you on the cross were taking even our sin, identifying fully in our sinfulness. You who knew no sin became sin in that moment on the cross after your faithful life of purity of walking hand in hand with the Father and you died in our place and rose again triumphantly and now invite us to follow you completely, to trust you solely, to not turn to the right, to the left, to not light our own fire and try to figure out life, but come in those times of darkness and bow before you and say, I'm here, speak to me, Lord. For there is no one stronger, no one better, no one wiser to put my hand into their hand but you. Thank you, Father, for the love you've given us in your Son. In Christ's name I pray Amen.